Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert. And the nighttime is when you might be lucky enough to see one of the strangest sights in the sky. Maybe you've already seen one. Maybe you've seen a couple. Maybe, like me, you've seen them and did not add the experience to your list of strange and unusual experiences. Because somewhere along the way you got the idea that these fantastic things had been explained. Now we already knew all about them, nothing to see here, just part of nature's rich bounty. Do you keep a list of your strange and unusual experiences? It's something I started doing about 10 years ago, and I'll tell you why. Because the kind of stuff you see that doesn't fit in, you tend to forget it. Now, how could we forget the most baffling moments of our lives, the most extraordinary events? Not just weird things in the sky, but the shocking moments of deja vu, the psychic communications. Like when you're dropping some stuff off at the thrift store and you notice a photograph at the bottom of the box and it's an old friend you haven't thought about or heard from in 25 years. And as you pluck the snapshot from the old box of now vintage clothes your phone rings it's the person in the picture how do they even have your cell phone number well I was just thinking about you the long lost friend will say and just then our old mutual friend texted me out of the blue and she had your number What a coincidence. What a coincidence. Your mind is a radio. A mystery radio. We don't know how it works. Russia and the United States, through piles of money at psychic research during the Cold War, they knew it was real, they just could not figure out how to turn it into a weapon. Thank God. Bob Dylan just put out a new record of new songs and he told the newspaper of record that the songs were written in a trance. Matter of fact, the way you might tell somebody it's Friday. Patti Smith says she's in a trance whenever she performs. 
and studies using MRIs have shown that accomplished jazz musicians go into a trance when playing at their best. Parts of the brain go quiet as inspiration and muscle memory flow. John Coltrane seemed to let his soul transmit right through the saxophone to the people in the room or across the radio waves. Or over space and time in the grooves of his classic records. And John Coltrane was obsessed with space and time, it turns out. As you know, if you ever sat down with Interstellar Space, his 1967 album, the year he himself returned to space, left his earthly body behind. Get on the rug with your head between the speakers and give that a good listen some late night, maybe later tonight. What? Marcel Proust figured out a hundred years ago is that memories are a time machine. That a rich memory connects you directly to the past. Sight, smell, taste, touch. What will set it off? For me, sometimes it's a certain kind of dappled sunlight, especially through green leaves that brings back specific lazy summer afternoons on a slow train to Bratislava, a bottle of Moravian wine open on the fold-down table in the compartment. Music playing through little Walkman speakers. Or falling asleep for a nap as a little child in East Texas. The vibration of the leaves in the breeze. The layers of scattered sunlight. A kaleidoscope and shades of yellow and green. And you may think, well, good luck with that in the desert, but we got trees in the desert, too. The desert willows, which look tired and dead until June, when suddenly they're covered in long green leaves and beautiful, fragrant blossoms. Each one like a little corsage. White and pink with splashes of yellow and the bees buzzing happily around and the hummingbirds darting around for another drink. And we got cottonwoods with their curtains of green leaves too all over the southwest wherever there's a little water. Los Alamos. Fremont's Cottonwood. Los Alamos is where something strange began to occur in 1947 and 1948. At least that's when it came to the attention of those scientists who study atmospheric phenomenon. Meteors in particular. Because a new kind of sight in the sky began appearing around Los Alamos National Laboratory. 
and around White Sands and around the Trinity site. For all the hours consumed by the study of strange aerial phenomena over the desert southwest, this is one I missed. Probably because, like a dummy, I'd seen some astronomer on PBS or Twitter dismiss the phenomenon. One of those astronomer personalities, you know what I mean? The one with Twitter handles like Astro Karen or whatever, the sort of Bob the Science Guy types. Like, why listen to those people? Their job is to crush wonder, to take the wind out of your sails, to try to make you think everything's figured out and settled and you're just here to watch. Well, it's not settled. Especially in the relatively new sciences regarding things going in and out of space. Things that pass by, things that enter our earthly atmosphere. Great balls of fire, like Jerry Lee Lewis sang. You'll hear one of these public relations professionals pop into a discussion with something like, Oh, that's just a sprite. You're all idiots, etc. And then you look up sprites, and the first thing you read is that upper atmospheric sprites are nearly impossible to photograph, completely elusive, and mostly a total mystery. Sprite means air spirit. Atmospheric scientists call another rare variety elves. Real science is much more aware of the deep strangeness of our reality than the cut-and-dried I-stand-for-science sloganeering. What does that even mean? I-stand-for-science. A hundred years ago, science was telling us that the intermixing of human races would lead to humanity's downfall. Thousands of scientists were employed by the government of Nazi Germany, and we brought quite a few of those Nazis to America to build our space program. Scientists work for Monsanto, developing new poisons to destroy our global populations of insects, bees in particular. They make new poisons to kill our coyotes, our populations of prairie dogs and pocket gophers. Poisons that go right to the owls and the hawks. So watch out next time you want to signify with your I believe in science sign at the brunch protest. Figure out what kind of science you're standing for is what I'm saying. Because most scientists today work for giant corporations making garbage to sell to other corporations and to the masses. I'm guilty of standing for science too. I think of biologists and I think of my friends and my heroes who study wildlife who collect the information necessary to protect the species. 
And I rarely stop to think about the many, many more scientists who work in labs testing lipstick and eyeliner and sex toys on rabbits in cages under fluorescent lights. The only thing most scientists have in common today is a lot of student loan debt. Like any character in this role-playing game we're all stuck within, they range from chaotic evil to lawful good. And remember that many of our laws are written with evil intent, too, and that's why lawful does not mean good. Anyway, a red Sprite is conclusively blamed for one aircraft incident, the aircraft in this case being a weather balloon carrying a lot of scientific instruments. This was in 1989, the same year that a Sprite was photographed for the first time. NASA stratospheric balloon launched on June 6th of that year from Palestine, Texas. Something caused the weather balloon to dump all its expensive monitoring equipment miles above the Earth. That's something the scientists eventually concluded was a rare and mysterious red sprite, which at that point had not even been given its air spirit name. And while they've been the subject of intensive investigations, the first image of a sprite dates back just three decades. A handful have been captured in photos or videos since. One from the International Space Station and one taken from San Francisco on February 1 of 2003, although none of us have seen that last photograph. The 2003 crash of the Space Shuttle Columbia, the wreckage of which, coincidentally, came down over Palestine, Texas, began over San Francisco as the shuttle began its descent from orbit on track for a Florida runway landing a continent away. An amateur photographer in San Francisco caught several images of the shuttle as it raced by. Here's how the San Francisco Chronicle reporter described what she saw in the most incredible photo. Quote, a glowing purple rope of light that corkscrews down toward the plasma trail and cut sharply toward the shuttle from behind. Well, a former astronaut was dispatched to the amateur photographer's home where the newspaper reporter was there to hear this astronaut's response to seeing the image. Wow. Along with the camera, the image was immediately flown by NASA T-38 jet to Houston for investigation. The photo has never been released to the public, never published. Which would make two NASA craft, apparent victims of the mysterious red sprite, the unmanned NASA stratospheric balloon launched from Palestine, Texas in 1989, and the NASA shuttle Columbia with its crew of seven, which disintegrated over Palestine, Texas in 2003. Among the astronauts lost was Israeli pilot and scientist Elon Ramon 
whose onboard work included the last fully funded space research on upper atmospheric sprites. While most of the space shuttle disintegrated, thousands of tiny pieces of burnt remnants of Columbia were collected in the area around Palestine, Texas. It took years to try to figure out what was what, and those scant bits were put in place on the floor of a NASA warehouse. Like a jigsaw puzzle with 62% of the pieces missing. A ghost ship. And those scraps that were recovered were mostly scorched beyond recognition. Except for one curious item that survived being burnt up and torn apart at 18 times the speed of sound, nearly 4 miles per second. That item was Elon Ramon's diary. Ink and pencil handwriting in Hebrew within a paper booklet. It survived the crash nearly intact. 37 pages discovered on the Texas ground. Two pages from the diary were exhibited last year at the Israel Museum in West Jerusalem. One of the curators described it like this. The diary survived extreme heat in the explosion, extreme atmospheric cold, and then was attacked by microorganisms and insects. It's almost a miracle that it survived. It's incredible. He added that there is no rational explanation for how it was recovered when most of the shuttle was not. The pages were displayed alongside fragments of the Dead Sea Scrolls, discovered in 1947. Curator Haggett Mouse explained the significance. It did not burn, but came back to Earth. This exhibition deals with the extraordinary. These manuscripts were not supposed to have survived. End quote. The Dead Sea Scroll portion tells the story of Enoch, one of the great old ones, the ancestors of Noah. Enoch was taken up. He ascended to heaven. Anyway, if you want to know the science that goes with red sprites, you're going to find a lot of question marks, blanks, assumptions, mysteries. Now, back in New Mexico at Los Alamos National Laboratory in 1999, researchers published an account of a meteor that apparently triggered a sprite. This was published in the Journal of Geophysical Research, says the introduction. It was a singular observation that had us all scratching our heads. There's a lot we don't know about meteors, too. And sprites and whatever mix of oddities shot down the NASA weather balloon, leaving its scorched payload on the lawn of a Dallas homeowner. And one thing we don't know at all is whether the mysterious green fireballs of the southwest are an incredibly strange kind of otherwise natural meteor, as Pamela the science pal will try to tell you, or something that is not natural at all, as astronomer Lincoln LaPaz, director of the Institute of Meteoritics in New Mexico, eventually came to believe 
about the multitudes of eccentric green fireballs witnessed over Los Alamos in the late 1940s and early 1950s and persisting to this day. An article in Time Magazine, November 19 of 1951, headline, Great Balls of Fire, deals with this subject and its chief scientist. Quote, the U.S. Southwest land of rockets, atom bombs, and flying saucers had another sensation last week. Green fireballs streaking across the sky, behaving like nothing ever seen by Earthlings before. In 13 days, eight brilliant objects dazzled Southwesterners. According to Dr. Lincoln La Paz, head of the Institute of Meteoritics at the University of New Mexico, a fall of nine bright meteorites in a year over a comparable area would be considered exceptional. I just don't know what to make of it, said Dr. La Paz. I am almost inclined to ask those fellows out in Nevada what they're doing. Dr. La Paz pointed out that meteors big enough to penetrate the lower atmosphere do not occur in showers. The so-called meteor showers are caused by very small particles that burn out quickly far above the Earth. The green color is unusual too. Meteorites generally roar like jet planes as they approach the Earth. But most observers insisted that these odd green objects were completely silent. Though some of them seem to hit the surface with a flash, brilliant even in daylight, search parties so far have found no remains of the mysterious fireballs, but the Southwest was already abuzz with rumors. The fireballs were being pinned on white sands, the rocket proving ground in southern New Mexico, as well as on the Nevada bomb testers. So far, no one has yet suggested another invasion of the famed flying saucers with their bright little crewmen from Venus or Mars. But people were beginning to report things in the sky as far away as New Jersey and New York. These are deeply weird things. La Paz became convinced the green fireballs were not natural phenomena. The suggestion that test pilots in Nevada were to blame, well, that was a joke. Same with the bomb scientist. A year later, he was serious when he suggested that the Soviet Union had perhaps created some kind of artificial meteor that was scanning and patrolling the installations in New Mexico. Well, that turned out to be false, too. And the Condon Committee paid special attention to the mystery green fireballs during their congressionally funded study of UFOs at the University of Colorado from 1966 to 1968. Many of the scientists insisted the fireballs could not be explained as random natural phenomenon. But the government already had the conclusion it wanted and the scientists were paid to stick to that conclusion. I've seen two myself. 
compared to thousands of meteors I've seen, which are all fantastic, but had little in common with the green fireballs beyond being seen in the sky. Both of my sightings were in Palm Springs. Once right there at Tockwoods Canyon and Indian Canyon on the way to Christmas Eve dinner at Johnny Costa's. And good for you if you remember that Tockwoods, the great monster, often appears in his namesake canyon as a green fireball. The next, late in 2019... I'm headed into town from the 10. Again on Indian Canyon, there was a bright piercing light seemingly right over the north runway of the airport. And then from the north was the longest, slowest, lowest green fireball you can imagine. Headed right for the white light, which dissipated. My windows were open. There was no sound from the monster fireball, which you could have fit a dozen jetliners within. I tried to follow it, but lost sight. The sky returned to normal. Well, this was all brought to mind by viral video of a huge green fireball, much like the one I witnessed in Palm Springs last year, going slow and low over a workyard in the Australian outback, an industrial mining operation. You hear the baffled employees saying, no, really, what is that? To a chorus of Aussies saying, uh, aliens? Well, for once, the news article did not claim scientists had explained away the green fireballs. In fact, the expert in this article added a bizarre new fact. In at least one confirmed observation, a green fireball entered the atmosphere, flew low over 1,300 kilometers of Australia, and then went back to space. I'll link it on our website. Read it yourself if you doubt me. From Amboy to Zizix and across a great Mojave wilderness, this is Desert Oracle Radio. I'm your host, Ken Lane. We got some hot tracks from our own Red, Blue, Black, Silver on this program. Our theme song is by Pierre Langer. We broadcast from Joshua Tree Friday nights locally from KCDZ 107.7 FM. Hey, let me mention this real quick. It looks like we will be doing something special for our 100th episode Friday night, July 17th. An outdoor live broadcast and performance in Pioneer Town brought to you by our beloved Honky Tonk on Main Street. I think they're calling it Porch Fest right there in the cabin behind Pappy's. We're working out the details. We're going to do it safe and sane. We'll keep you informed. Hey, we got a Patreon too. It's how we do this, how we keep the lights on. Go to patreon.com forward slash desert oracle or to our website desertoracle.com we sure do appreciate the support you can get our podcast through all the usual outlets itunes and stitcher and pod bay and spotify pandora and on fine community radio stations up and down the West Coast. 
We'll talk to you again for show number 97 next week. Thank you for listening, friends. Interesting times. Good night from the Voice of the Desert. <laughs>